0: This is Penny Johnson, and you're listening to From Stage to Page, an audiobook podcast devoted to the forgotten stories and memoirs of female performing artists from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. In this episode, we continue with Geraldine Farr, The Story of an American Singer, written by Geraldine Farr and published in 1916 by Houghton Mifflin Company. Chapter 9. On Tour, Monte Carlo and Stockholm In discussing the plans for my third season at the Berlin Opera, it had been decided that I should create Massenet's Manon, I determined to meet Massinet, if possible, in order to get all possible suggestions for the role. This was accomplished through the Baroness de Hegemann Lindenkrone, formerly Lily Greenow of Boston, who was the wife of the Danish ambassador to Berlin. I went to Paris, and on May 26, 1903, I called on the composer at his suburban home near the French capital where I found him in tears. It was the day after the funeral of Sybil Sanderson, the American singer, who had won such success abroad, and Massine wept at the loss of such a delightful artist and friend who had created so many of his roles. Several days later, when he was more composed, I saw him again. He was kind and sympathetic, and I studied with him with enthusiasm, he was most interested in the Berlin production and quite amused at the German translation of the French text which Lily and I had revised. During this visit to Paris, it was arranged that I should sing for Gaillard, the director of the Paris Opera, and at this audience were three other notable directors who were destined to figure in my career. There was Maurice Grau, already relinquishing the reins of management in New York, but still hoping, he said, to take me back to America as an operatic star in the near future. There was Heinrich Konried, his successor, whom I then met for the first time, and there was Raoul Gunzberg, the director of the opera at Monte Carlo. Gayard offered me a flattering engagement at the Paris Opera, but I explained that I was under contract for at least one more year in Berlin. Gunzberg was very enthusiastic in his praise. Conritte was quiet and formal. If I made any impression on him, he gave no indication of it. My third season in Berlin opened November fourteenth, nineteen 1905, in Traviata, when I had my usual charming partner in Franz Naval. I now sang all of my roles in German, save Traviata, and, in deference to me, all the company sang Traviata in Italian, which I thought a pretty compliment. The Berlin premiere of Manon took place on December 1, 1903, and was a wild riot of enthusiasm, but my best reward was a large photo of Lily with half a yard of dedication written underneath. By this time the middle of my third season in berlin i had become quite well known in certain operatic circles i had sung in paris for four big directors i had won the real affection and regard of the opera-goers of berlin i was now die fahrer aus berlin and the berlin public owned me herr gunzberg at monte carlo always on the lookout for novelty decided he must have the american prima donna who was attracting so much attention in berlin one morning in midwinter i received this characteristic telegram from him offer you debut bohem or pagliacci if you accept this telegram serves as contract 4000 francs a night 800 dollars a night it was indeed a fine offer i replied at once Bohem, WHEN SHALL I COME? I had visions already of international triumphs, Monte Carlo, the show-place of the world. From there it was only a step to the leading capitals of Europe. Yet I had no wish to leave my beloved Berlin permanently. Therefore, in renewing my contract with the Intendant of the Berlin Opera, a contract, by the way, which is still in force, It was stipulated that I was to sing so many performances each season in Berlin, unless excused by special arrangement, that I should have leave of absence whenever requested under certain conditions, but that at all times I should be subject to the rules and regulations of the Royal Opera in Berlin. I remember discussing the subject with His Majesty on one occasion when we were entertained at the palace prior to my departure. I had asked and received permission for rather an unusual amount of leave of absence, and the intendant, who usually conveyed such a request to His Majesty on my behalf, said this time he really did not have the courage to ask again so soon. "'Very well,' said I laughingly. I will ask him myself to spare you the embarrassment." "'But why should you wish to leave Berlin?' inquired the Kaiser. "'We are glad to have you with us. We admire you. We love you. What more can you gain elsewhere?' "'Pardon me, your Majesty,' I replied gaily. Already I have been accustomed, as a spoiled prima donna of luxurious habits, to ride in automobiles, and I don't wish to have to walk when I am an old lady, and when this, touching my throat significantly, has ceased to interest the public. In the words of the great Napoleon, your Majesty, "'Beyond the Alps lies Italy,' yes and there is a white chateau by the sea where the golden shower is just waiting to be coaxed into my pockets may i not then go and sing a little among the palms and the flowers i went ah that first rehearsal of Bohem in monte carlo in march 1904 I was introduced for the first time to a tenor of whom I had never heard before. He was somewhat stout, not over tall, but with a wonderful voice and a winning smile. His name was Enrico Caruso. It was his debut in Monte Carlo. He had sung in Milan, in South America, and the preceding winter in New York, but he had not then attained even a small part of his present great fame. At this first rehearsal in Monte Carlo, an interested listener was Jan Doretsky, who was kind enough to say that he remembered me as the little Boston girl who had sung for him some years previously, and that he was delighted to see that I was meeting with the success he had predicted. My Monte Carlo debut occurred on the night of March 10, 1904. Although I had rehearsed with Caruso, The tenor had never used his voice fully at the rehearsals, and on the night of the actual performance, when I heard those rich and glorious tones rise above the orchestra, I was literally stricken, dumb with amazement and admiration. I forgot that I, too, was making a debut, that I was on the stage of the opera house until the conductor, Vigna rapped sharply with his baton to bring me back to my senses. Then I put forth every ounce of strength to match, if possible, that marvellous voice singing opposite to me. I copy the following extract verbatim from my diary of that night. Tremendous reception on my debut. After the third act, and in full view of the audience, Caruso lifted me bodily and carried me to my dressing room in the general wave of enthusiasm. The Monte Carlo engagement was limited, and on March 28th I reappeared in Berlin, being received so cordially that I then and there made up my mind that I would never leave Berlin for good. The reports of the Monte Carlo engagement led directly to a most flattering offer from Stockholm, and on May 6th I arrived in the Swedish capital. My mother, of course, was with me on all my travels. My debut, which took place on the evening of May 9th, was as Marguerite in Faust. It was an enthusiastic, sympathetic audience headed by the venerable and adorable King Oscar. An incident of the performance worth recording is that I sang opposite to Herr Erdmann, the tenor, who had sung as a young man with Jenny Lindt and Christine Nilsen. He was then almost sixty years old, but he gave a most interesting performance, and was extremely vain of his figure in Romeo and Faust. I must say he would put many a younger man to shame in the costume of this romantic period, withal being a sweet singer and excellent artist. Two days after my debut, the royal intendant of the opera called to notify me that the king would be glad to receive me at a special audience the royal carriage was sent to the hotel for us. My mother and I drove first to the palace in Stockholm, and then, after we had been cordially received by his majesty, the king invited us to go with him and inspect a beautiful suburban castle just outside of Stockholm, which is one of the showplaces of the world. His majesty had known and admired Lily Lillydemann, and one reason for the personal interest he took in me "'was because he knew I was Lily's pupil. "'On the night of the Stockholm season, "'I sang Traviata before a packed and enthusiastic house. "'His Majesty was present as usual. "'He never missed a performance while I sang in Stockholm. "'During the performance, the Intendant notified me "'that His Majesty desired to receive me at the palace "'after the performance at a special audience.' Wondering and surprised, my mother and I drove to the palace in obedience to the royal command. We were ushered into a small audience chamber, where perhaps two dozen members of the court were already in waiting. Presently His Majesty entered, and with a few words decorated me with the gold cross of the Order of Merit, which he personally pinned upon my gown. He explained at the time that only two other singers had previously received this honor, Melba and Nilsson. After that, there was a real Swedish celebration of farewell, which lasted until long past midnight. Only as the nights were almost as bright as day in that far northern country, it was difficult to tell the time. I remember that after supper. I suddenly recalled that Caruso had written, asking me to secure him a complete set of Swedish stamps, as he was a postage stamp fiend. When I told His Majesty of this, the King sent out and secured a complete set of stamps, which I forwarded to Enrico, with the compliments of the King of Sweden. As I was leaving and saying farewell, for we were to go on the morrow, His Majesty said, "'Next year, Mademoiselle Farrer, you must sing again in Stockholm.' "'I shall be delighted, Your Majesty,' I replied. "'Meanwhile, you sing only in Berlin?' "'Oh, no,' I answered. "'I have been offered a re-engagement for Monte Carlo next March.' "'Monte Carlo, eh?' And His Majesty laughed. My dear Mademoiselle Farrer, my physician has been urging me to visit Monte Carlo. I shall time my trip so that I shall be sure to hear you sing there. What a perfect darling old King Oscar was! You've been listening to From Stage to Page, an audiobook podcast devoted to the forgotten stories and memoirs of female performing artists from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. If you like what you hear and want to support my creative endeavors, then simply go to koficom pennyjohnson and you can buy me a lemonade. That's ko com slash pennyjohnson. Thanks for your support.